1: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA member FDSE. Hey,
2: Zach.
0: How are you? Hey. Uh, you're good today. Zach, you're a special guest. You're going to talk about what animal today? Moose. A moose? Do you know what a moose is? Yeah. What's a moose? You do. What do they eat?
2: Bark.
0: Do they eat bark? Yeah. Good job. Good job. Now, what color are moose? Brown. They're, are they brown? Are they really and they're really big, huh? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, Zachy, let me ask you do they have antlers or do they have horns?
2: Antlers. Ant- you know that?
0: How old are you, Zach? Three. You're only three and you know that? Yeah. Oh, that is fantastic. You do you just want to do the podcast with me instead of your mommy? Yeah. (laughs) That is so great. So one last question, Zach. Where do moose live?
2: Australia.
0: They do? I don't think so. (laughs) Don't they live north in Canada? Yeah. Well, Zach, thanks for joining us today and sharing what you know about moose. I can't believe you're only three and you know all that. Keep reading, okay?
2: Okay.
0: Thank you. Welcome to the All Creatures Podcast. This is Chris.
1: And I'm Angie. (laughs) That's
0: like, I don't even know what to describe that. Hey, something made in the background or something. I don't know. It's like Rrr.
1: roaring is actually one of the ways it's described. Okay. Okay, okay. 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 But when you think of roaring, you think of tigers, lions, actually tigers chuff, but right. all right, we think of we think of lions. And yes, that is actually moose.
0: Wow. Wow. Mm -hmm. I don't ever want to hear that in the wild. I don't, I mean, I'm sure a lot of our listeners have that live up North, but geez, that would be a little scary.
1: Yes. It's, it's, yeah, it's a vocal threat and it is, it is known as a roar. Um, and yeah, it's, uh, not anything that you necessarily want to be near. And what's even more incredible is the length at which that sound travels. Uh, I mean, we're easily talking, kilometers away oh, yeah. so it's and, and of course that's not the only sound that moose make they of course can make a variety of other vocalizations uh they can use more of a whining sound to attract a mate as well uh, and they also have several non-vocal ways to communicate their feelings which we'll get to talk about throughout this podcast so uh there's definitely some visual signs that they make or non-vocal communication that tells you that they are about to charge. So you should probably leave them alone. (laughs) (laughs) I
0: think it was was just last week. There was uh, this video on the internet that showed this guy, he was up in Canada or Alaska going out to, to his garbage and he's walking out there and all of a sudden this massive bull moose walks in and he just like goes into his, his little garage and closes the door. I yeah. Like, I
1: saw yeah. that video. Yes. That was a very <laughs> smart thing to do because they typically aren't going for you right, or aren't right. going to go after you. But in the same instance, they're forced to be reckoned with. And so mm-hmm. uh, there's actually a sign at the Anchorage Visitor center that warns tourists that quote unquote, a moose with its hackles raised is a thing to fear. So the yeah. hackles, of course, is that hair on the back
2: of right. their neck.
1: So yes, you, you, although they are hands down, one of the most adorable creatures out there. Oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. A baby moose just melts my heart <laughs> and our, our show notes will be plastered with it because yes, I've worked yes. with a lot of different deer species and of course ungulates throughout my tenure. And man, I don't know a baby moose. Obviously, I've never seen one in real life. But mm-hmm. Just looking at the pictures on the on the internet was melting my heart, and they pr- almost rival the baby talking, which I've held in my hands. Yeah. So it's that nose. We'll, we'll talk a lot about their nose. It's more than meets the eye, that's for sure. Right. But gosh, so cute! But yes, you want to stay stay away from them, especially if they're making those sounds or their hackles are up. That's for sure. Right.
0: Well, this is one of your favorites: hooves and horns.
1: It has, oh, it has all the bells and whistles, Chris. Oh my gosh. This is, I need to give a huge shout out to our Patreon follower and friend, Julia, Mm -hmm. who requested this species. And it has been the, an amazing, it's been one of the best weeks this year for me, for sure. Right, right. Podcast.
0: I know. You've been so excited.
1: I love my family, of course, and my pets and my work, but my goodness. Learning and reading all about moose this whole week, I, I don't know. I, I learned so much. And, of course, it's right up my alley. So I really w- did a lot of deep dives. And truth be told, Chris, I could probably go alone on this podcast.
0: <laughs> I'm going to keep it short. I will try my best because it is one of your your favorite species now. And you said no, it's like I, now your favorite deer species. It
1: is definitely my favorite deer species. And uh, I haven't worked with them, but mm-hmm. now I uh, – wish I would have, but it definitely is up there. And one of my favorite deer species, species, I, I worked with white-lipped deers, um, from Asia, which are one of the larger species as well. And so I don't know, they're, they're probably JR and Ben Pow and the noises they make. I don't know. I, it, it's a little, <laughs> it, it's, it's a toss up, but yes, I, uh, I'm just in love with moose. I've always wanted to see one in the wild. It's one of those species I that a, I don't know. It's not my spirit animal. That would probably be like a mm-hmm. horse or a zebra or a rhino. Mm-hmm. But it's one that I've, every time I've been up North in Michigan, I've always felt like, okay, like today, this is going to be the time that I see a moose. And I, right. I, I never have. And, uh, now at the time I didn't realize what I was missing, but now after mm-hmm. watching a lot of video this past week and photographs and just, now I'm even, I'm more eager than ever. And, uh, so hopefully I'll, I'll get a chance here sometime.
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. It's one of those species you just want to see in the wild. And you know, this is for Julia L from Minnesota, who is a stupendous, awesome Patreon supporter. So she got to pick a species. She also likes the loon, which I, I think we got to cover the loon at some point because their calls it's haunting, but so beautiful. So yeah. beautiful. So Absolutely. we'll have to do them. Well, thank
1: you, Julia. This week, like yeah. I said, the, thank you for not only reawakening my love for moose, but uh, hopefully getting a lot of listeners excited and learning more about just how cool moose are. Their their physiological adaptations, their behaviors. There's definitely a lot more than meets the eye.
0: Right, and, and you know, just for a huge thank you to our Patreon subscribers that we were able to send money to Australia for some relief. So we sent some money to WIRES and the Australia Wildlife Fund. So thank you, uh, Australia. Just a quick 10-second thir- t- update. Still fires, but they've been getting a lot of rain lately that has dampened it. So that's good news. But obviously, uh, we're going to keep our eye to there and see how things recover and, and what comes out of that. But just for our Patreon subscribers, we're going to be recording our next species very soon. Within the next few days, it's a fun one. So that's the only hit.
1: It's going to be good. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be a
0: good one. It's going to be a good one.
1: And of course, not everybody can give to Patreon and we totally understand that. And so that's why I always encourage anybody who likes what we're saying or uh, is engaged, just share this podcast. That is definitely one of the things you can do that helps us out big time. And who cares about us? It helps the animals out for people to learn about them and get excited about them. Uh, and of course subscribe to our podcast and rate and review. And we haven't really had that many reviews in 2020 so far. Uh, but man, we got an, one of the a review the other day that pretty much brought tears to my eyes. It was from <laughs> Luscious Maximus and it, it really sums up this podcast. It was like mm-hmm,
2: science
1: mm-hmm. plus passion equals five stars. And yeah, then of I'm course, straight. um, uh, Luscious Maximus went on to say wonderful things. It just makes me want to stay up late and make this podcast even better and keep bringing everyone new species and amazing interviews, uh, each week. So the more we get, a, the more positive reinforcement we get, the more, uh, we'll want <laughs> to, the, the, the more we'll want to keep giving back. So I really appreciate that. So hopefully there'll be some more that we can mention next week. So thanks you. Thank you, Luscious.
0: Yes. Thank you. Issues? It's a- I don't know. Yes, thank you so much for the reviews. It it just it brings smiles to our face and and definitely encourages us to to keep doing this and we're definitely going to. So before Angie dorks out with her antlers versus whatever, because this is like her favorite. Horns versus antlers.
1: But yes, that's going to be amazing and full of fun facts. I know I did antlers before when we did reindeer. So Mm -hmm. I have to change it up a little bit. So I'm not going to go too, too deep into physiology. But stick with me for the antlers, and you're going to find out why moose that have antlers when they are in their breeding season and they've got their Paddles, which is what actually another fun name that they're calling, mm-hmm, in, mm-hmm. Uh, in moose paddles. When they have their mat, when they have their paddles on, they can actually hear better. And it's okay. Important for okay. that. So All cool. Right. Just All cool right. antlers, my, just so cool.
0: My scientific mind is running. I have a guess. We'll see if I'm right. But <laughs> you got you got to love it. You talk about antlers. So I did do a little. There's something here I have on antlers, especially with evolution. But you know, lately. Moose. Now, the plural of moose is not mooses meese. Or, or meese. meese right, because goose no. and geese. Yeah. Ang-
1: no. To all of our listeners that don't speak English as their first language, I applaud you because English is a very goofy language. It doesn't have the rules that I'm used to for the very moderate Spanish that I speak. And this is yeah. another example because the plural of goose is geese. The plural of moose is... Moose. Moose. <laughs> it's not moose. mooses,
0: not moose-eye. <laughs> no oh, I'm going to give a shout out to our Australian listeners. It reminds me of a joke me and my brother used to have with his friends down there. We were like, what language do you guys speak? They'd be like, you, know, you don't speak English. <laughs> what are you guys speaking down here? Uh, we love our Aussies. Hope you guys are doing great. Um, But yeah, so the plural of moose is moose. And we've been starting out the podcast kind of talking about the environment they live in. So here's something I didn't know, Angie. Since moose, okay, here's the bottom line. Moose don't sweat, which blew me away. I was like, what? Almost most animals, mammals that thermoregulate, you would think they would sweat as a, a part of the way to dissipate heat. But moose don't. I was like, whoa. And they're so big you know and that goes back to i think it's bergman's rule where you know the higher or the colder it is the larger the animals are to maintain body heat so these animals have evolved we're going to find out for millions of years to live in these cold environments when it's hot they don't survive they have trouble surviving when temperatures rise above 80 degrees fahrenheit or 27 mm-hmm. degrees celsius Mm-hmm. So they have different ways they cool off. They'll go stand in cold water, uh, do things like that to, to cool down. In the
1: shade, they'll find shade. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and then they're also the thing is too, people you know that aren't science geeks like us, or even understanding nutrition, they are f- they're fermenters, right? So in their guts, they have this rumen that ferments all the stuff they eat. So that creates a ton of heat. Mm -hmm. which is absorbed in the body. So they have this system to maintain so they can survive. When I looked it up, yellow knife yesterday was minus 12 degrees. Moose do great. And that's 12 degrees Celsius. Like it's freezing. It is very cold there. Mm -hmm. So the reason I bring that up is because I'm just going to pick on her say hi to our our friends in Canada, not pick on them, but I want to highlight them today. So, eh. How you all doing up there? I can't do a Canadian accent. I just can't. no,
1: that was embarrassing. It was bad. It was
0: bad. <laughs> well, you're kind of from Michigan, so you kind of sound Canadian, just a tad.
1: A little bit, but I don't say a boat, a boat, a
0: boat, a boat. There you go, or A. A. I Love our Canadian friends, and but I wanted to kind of talk about Canada because it's such a drop dead gorgeous country, and. Not to pick on New Zealand, New Zealand's beautiful, a lot of beautiful landscapes. But to this day, I still say Vancouver Island is one of the most beautiful places I've ever seen on earth.
1: Yeah. You know, I've never been to British Columbia, which is sad um for many, many reasons. Mm-hmm. But my late father traveled pretty extensively. Uh, he had a very full, fun, mm-hmm. well-lived life. And he had always said that Vancouver was pro- from where he went and of course he didn't mm-hmm. go everywhere
2: mm-hmm.
1: but the Vancouver was probably one of the most beautiful places he's been and oh, so now to oh hear far. you say that it's like mm-hmm. you you're pretty well traveled mm-hmm. uh it's yeah i've i've got to get there for sure
0: Oh, it's drop dead gorgeous. It's just Canada is so beautiful. It's just so beautiful. Everybody needs to go visit Canada. You know, shout out to our listeners up there. It's just a yeah, beautiful I a country. Lot, i spent
1: a fair amount of time in Toronto and of course it's just beautiful mm-hmm. and the people are lovely. I mean, oh, Mary yeah, and Megan yeah. want to live there. So that's obviously says a lot.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, uh, Danielle, our, our friend, one she's one of my from dear Canada. Friends, yeah. She's amazing. So Canada's just it's it's beautiful, it's got a very diverse biome. So the main biomes are you have the tundra way up mm-hmm. north, the boreal forests. So these are the ones that are you know high latitude environments. Do freezing.
1: you know the other name for the boreal forest?
0: The ice forest? I don't know.
1: No, it starts <laughs> with a
0: T the, the terrible cold forest? No. <laughs> no.
1: The taiga.
0: Oh, duh. Yeah, the taiga. Yeah, Yeah. okay. That's more Russia. I see. But I think taiga, I think Russia. I don't know why. I just think Russia. Maybe, I don't know. I had to
1: figure out how to pronounce it because I got to learn how to – now that uh, we have more than just our moms listening, I have to get better at pronouncing things. (laughs) Thanks, yeah. My mom didn't care. She thought it was cute when I would say things wrong. Yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, we
0: got to be accurate. No, Mm -hmm. no, no. So yeah, so these are forests that are – you know, the trees grow five meters, Was that, almost 15 feet. You know, they don't get super high. The canopy doesn't cover a ton of the ground, less than 10%. And it's freezing up there for half the year, up to eight months. And then you go down and you have this mixed forest. Then the broadleaf forest. So I was thinking of maple leaves. I don't know why. You know, that's a Canada thing. They have prairies, the Rocky Mountains, the coniferous forests. So those are our big pine trees. So they have a huge ton of biodiversity. Now, the reason I'm bringing that up and about moose, because that's one of the main habitats of moose is, is Canada is climate change again. And just very quickly right now, Canada, the best estimate is right now in the last 50, 60 years, 60 years, temperatures have increased 1.7 degrees Celsius across Canada, but it's more in the Northern part where it's increased 2.3 degrees Celsius. So that's about five degrees Fahrenheit increase in average temperature. So that is a concern with the moose. Last summer, I looked this up in Toronto. Their high was around 91 degrees Fahrenheit. Then you go up to the Northwest territory way up North. It was almost 88 degrees yeah, Fahrenheit
1: that's too hot in July. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: So that's why I bring it up. I mean, that's why, you know, I'm not going to go over climate change in this podcast, but it's one of the things we have to keep an eye on is, is in the polls, it's warming up quicker and affects these species.
1: Oh, absolutely. And I mean, the good news is just a quick spoiler alert is that the population of moose overall is least concerned by the IUCN. Yeah. Uh, they, but the caveat is, and we'll talk about a lot of the different populations and subspecies here shortly, uh, but a lot of them, the populations are declining. And they're declining mm-hmm. at a, uh, in some areas, a worrisome rate. And mm-hmm. researchers are trying to figure out why right. before it's too late, right? Because, right, um, right. and, so, and some of the hypotheses thrown out there are parasites, disease. But climate change is up there, too, as a possible cause with the lack of nutrition mm-hmm. uh, during the summer uh, and, of course, overheating potentially. So uh, right. there's no smoking gun, uh, but that's why researchers are really trying to figure it out. And it's on everybody's minds about where they live and it's warming up.
0: Right, right. I mean, it's just we've got to keep our eye to it. And it just this is another species that that could be really hurt by it. And just really quick, you know, just their endangered species. Canada actually, from what I could find, has 11 species that went extinct recently, but not the whole population. Like a grizzly bear on the prairie population is extinct. The black-footed ferret is extinct in Canada. We know that, but as a whole, they're not, right? They're, they're, they're still there. So these are just extinct in Canada. Mm-hmm. That gotcha. you know the walrus, the Northwest Atlantic population, the gray whale, the Atlantic population—they're extinct in, in in or around Canada. Okay, mm-hmm. but this doesn't mean that they're extinct as a species. Canada has 55 species on that are considered endangered: 11 mammals, 14 birds, one amphibian, three reptiles, three fish, 23 plants. So not as bad as you might think. With that, you might think here, like in the United States. Where you know we have a higher list that I just covered the other day. So, anyways, we'll keep our eyes to you, Canada. You know we love you, and you know we'll definitely cover more species. But I don't know. Do you think a lot of people know what moose look like? <laughs> it's, I think I think they I, do.
1: I think so. Uh yeah. But like I said, you probably maybe aren't as familiar as what a moose calf looks like. Right. That thing is just darling. Um. And, but I think it's important to point out that it is the largest member of the deer family, the Mm servant family in North, in North America. And what really distinguishes them are a couple features. They have their size, but then elk are pretty big too. And we'll, and we'll talk a little bit about the difference between moose and elk, which may be less or more depending on which country you're from, but they are known for their antlers and the males carry the antlers during the breeding season. And, but they're strikingly different than deer antlers in that they have this palmate or open hand shape to them, mm-hmm. where most other d- deer in, this, in the family have twigs, like they look like br- branches without leaves, like just twig-like appearance with their antlers. And because it's this palmate or smooth, flat, round shape. It, it looks like a paddle, I suppose, and that's why they're called paddle. Uh mm. But it's also their nose that distinguishes them. Like I said, I've worked with a lot of deer species, and there's nothing cuter and squishier than like a little deer nose fe- taking treats out of your hand. Um, obviously, don't feed wild. <laughs> don't feed wildlife. This was, of course, at the accredited zoo I worked for. But and definitely don't feed moose because they'll come back hungry and angry. And yeah, don't 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 <laughs> no, do that. No, um, no, no, no. Take it from me, right? And I had a barrier between myself, so I was I was safe. But at any rate, uh, that nose is just amazing, and it is long and flexible, mm-hmm. and just we. I have a whole little section on it, and it. It's not in cartoons or I always think of bullwinkle moose. It's not exaggerated. Really, it really is this schnoz with a, you Mm -hmm. know, extra long, uh, upper lip, if you will, for the most part. And so that, and then, uh, they also have a dewlap, which is common in a lot of hoofstock species. And what a dewlap is, uh, it's skin under the throat. It's like a longitudinal flap that hangs beneath the lower jaw or neck. Of, of many animals. Mm-hmm. And researchers don't really know what it's for. I um, think it's obviously for breeding and display and things like that, but they, there's really no known function of it. <laughs> and, and then moose have, they are really big, but they have long, tall legs. And I think they're kind of known for that as well. So yeah, I, I mean, and their colors can, it depends on the subspecies and where they're from, but they're really pretty. I've I've been watching a lot of YouTube videos and their fur ranges from brown to almost black in color with some little blonde-ish high points in there Mm -hmm. in different places. Uh, and so yeah, they're just, they're beautiful. They, and, are. I
0: they mean, are. They are.
1: They are. And females don't have antlers. It's just the males. Mm-mm. And it's mm-hmm. only during breeding season that males have them. Well, they start, they start growing in the summer, basically. And then, uh, so they're impressive. I mean, oh, they're just, yeah. they're,
0: and I mean, their height from hoof to shoulder ranges anywhere from five to six and a half feet. Mm-hmm. So to the shoulder, that's as tall as I am. And I'm a tall bloke. So mm-hmm. one and a half to two meters. Males are definitely heavier than females. Males can weigh up to 1,300 pounds or 600 kilograms, mm-hmm. so they're they're big. But you said that a lot of legs, you know. Uh, females up to 880 pounds or 400 kilograms. And then, like you said, those antlers can almost be six feet across, two meters.
1: Oh yeah, it's insane. It's insane. And the weight on them—it's a lot. Oh yeah, yeah. I like I said, I hadn't, I hadn't really, I've never worked with moose, um, Mm -hmm. and but just watching a lot of the videos of the bull moose during rutting season, and with that large size, those antlers are crazy heavy so Mm -hmm. i think on average they're going to be i mean of course it depends on the age of the male right their antlers get Mm -hmm. bigger as they age and so yeah, i don't know on average probably somewhere between 30 40 maybe 50 pounds uh but an alaskan moose was recorded with 79 pounds or 36 kilos on its head on its head yeah I mean, yeah. it's like lifting... You. You. <laughs> you. Well, thank you. You're too kind. Um, but no, not me. But uh like, yeah. you know, each one of my kids in, in a, yeah, on a hand, no. okay. you know, on okay. their head. And and watching yeah. them walk in these videos, I don't know if it was because the rack is so heavy. But like the males are literally like each step they take, their head kind of tilts with it. Yeah. It's just probably like, holy macaroni. And,
0: a lot of muscle in that yeah. neck. Yeah.
1: I mean, antlers, like I said, I get to dork out about them. But they're just... the they literally are the most dramatic secondary sexual characteristics on earth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and for mm-hmm. those of you that aren't familiar with that, what that is is, it, and basically it, it's a fancy word, but a secondary sexual characteristic is something that, uh, happens during breeding seasons or happens as a male ages, but it has no, it doesn't help them theoretically with uh, the process of breeding or mating. Mm -hmm. So I always give the example in my classes is is like a man with a beard. Like you get that after puberty, you know, during puberty or after puberty. Um, But it doesn't, you know, there's really no need for it. So it's a right. secondary sexual character. That was when we were
0: hunting and we had to stay warm. Ah, uh, something.
1: <laughs> the yeah, tundra. yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, these antlers is just no, yeah, the fact really cool. of the body goes through that. They're, they're insane and they're, and they're heavy. So right 80 pounds max on record. So that's 40 on each side or mm-hmm. on average, mm-hmm. it's probably going to be about 20 to 25 pounds on each side.
0: Yeah, I think that was the cape buffalo. They were about 40 pounds, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I always have yeah, yeah.
1: a cape. It'd be interesting to do a comparison. Cape, I always kind of think about 40 to 50. And mm-hmm. the average I was getting for moose is about 40 pounds.
0: Okay.
1: Okay. But okay. That's a cross. Oh, that's cool. All yeah. I
0: know. And, it, and if you really want to know more about antlers, you can go back to like episode, I think it's 18 reindeer. Angie really dorks out on antlers and antler growth oh, and everything. I'm still
1: just uh, – yeah, it's coming. It's coming down the pipes here, but we we got to talk about where these guys live
0: first. Yeah, okay. So species, it's found in the northern hemisphere. In North America, it's mainly Canada, but some parts of the northern U.S. Obviously, Alaska, but like Angie Mi- said, Michigan. back in her home. Michigan. Northern
1: Michigan, mm-hmm
0: reaches down to near our friend uh, Corbin in Idaho, so Washington state, and Montana, but mainly in Canada and then in Europe across from uh Norway, uh Finland, Sweden, we've got a good listenership in Sweden, and then across Europe and north northern part of Asia is where they're from. So, across the uh the northern hemisphere they range. Angie, looking at, you know, why care? I mean, obviously this is a large herbivore. And I have some excerpts from a book. This is actually a a book published in 1997. It's Wildlife and Landscape Ecology. And it is, or the chapter in the book is called The Role of Moose in Landscape Processes. So it, it really talks about these whole Arctic landscapes, is what they're called, these northern latitudes. And this massive size, we'll get to diet, but these herbivores, these massive herbivores are so critical to these boreal ecosystems, these forests we talk about. They are so important. And the only way I can, I think I can break this down so people understand it easier is we take the, the wolf example. You and I dorked out 20, 30 pods ago about gray wolves. The importance. I don't think in, we're yep. done. No, no, no.
1: <laughs> wolves will come up later on in this podcast, but yes, yes,
0: yeah. But you know, you and I talked about
1: Yellowstone and what happened when wolves were removed. Right, they're a keystone species, mm-hmm. and there's evidence out there to suggest that moose are a dominant and perhaps even keystone species.
0: Right. When you took wolves out of Yellowstone, elk proliferated like crazy.
1: Completely
0: changed the landscape, completely, you know, almost some people are saying devastating young saplings, uh, young growth because there was too many elk, changed river systems, drew, drew, drew drove some species out like the beaver.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: When wolves came back, that whole ecosystem was rehabilitated because not only did they kill some elk, but they drove them away to find, you know, higher latitude higher elevations up in the mountains and things like that. So they had a elk had a huge impact on the landscape. So imagine moose, what they're doing out there, you know, then they do have predators and natures imbalance and everything where they live. But if you remove moose out of the ecosystem and we didn't want to remove elk out of the ecosystem, we just wanted to reduce their numbers. So if you take these large herbivores out of the ecosystem, Oh my God, like, you know, desertification. we're seeing that in Africa. Uh, other parts of the world where you take out these herbivores, they're critical. They're critical.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, there's just an animal that big. I mean, and we cover nutrition, they're eating a lot per day, uh, covering a lot of ground as well. And part of their food web is that they are uh, preyed upon by wolves and sometimes bears and things like that. So they're an important food source for them. These are things that unless you are dorking out like me, so I'll just give Mm -hmm. you the cliff notes, not to talk about antlers again, but to talk about antlers again. Right, right, right. And so with antlers, if you recall from the reindeer podcast, Mm -hmm. when they grow, they grow in a velvet, it's called, it looks almost like fur, if you will, light fur around the antlers and that's providing blood to the bone growing underneath the antler. And that blood is very important because it's helping the bone grow and antler is bone and it grows and it grows and it grows and it grows. But then they have to strip their velvet and it's kind of a bloody process. Um I don't think it hurts them, uh but the blood is the blood supply has been cut off, but there's still some, underneath the velvet and they they basically rub their antlers on the willow can you see me i'm doing it i'm pretending i'm a moose yeah you can probably see the camera Anyways, can i put
0: 80 pounds on your head yeah, while you do that yeah they're like
1: going back and forth rubbing yeah. stripping their velvet and of course our deer at the zoo did this and that velvet interestingly enough when it finally hits the ground it is full of protein and nutrients for birds and carnivores um and rodents and just different things to eat. And then later on when they shed their antlers, that is a whole nother story that can be used by other organisms for different things. Mm -hmm. Um, It's bone. So it is going to obviously be harder to break down, but there is such a connection between an organisms and its life cycle and the things that we might think are weird or like, not give a second hoot about is Mm -hmm. another animal's meal.
0: Right. Right. Moose are important to like us as humans, right? I mean.
1: Oh yeah. Throughout, I mean, throughout the dawn of time indigenous people have used their meat and their fur. And so, and they have a really great relationship with them because of course, indigenous people are much more, um understanding to earth's cycles and don't overhunt animals typically it's more when the mm-hmm. westerners came in that we drove most of the moose out of the contiguous United States although i did find it interesting maine actually has the largest population of moose so
0: in the us okay in the US, yeah
1: and yeah. um, anyways so there's just a long relationship and cave paintings and things like that in europe um as moose provided of course a lot of, of food but a long-standing history of moose and what they've provided for the indigenous people throughout the years, if that doesn't convince you, even more of a modern day spin on what moose can do for humans, a group I'm going to highlight at the end of the podcast, uh, basically sh- an ode to Michigan and Isle Royale, the moose mm-hmm. and wolf population dynamic studies that have been going on for 50 years. But one of the recent studies they've been looking at is Interestingly enough, moose that live to be more than 10 years old, and that's pretty common because they can live up to 20 or 25 years, Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: moose that live over 10 years old, 40% of them have a lot of signs of pretty gnarly arthritis. Hmm. And it's in their metatarsal, which is basically like their, you know, it's kind of like part of our middle finger, if you will. Mm -hmm. And... And researchers are kind of fascinated by this because they don't understand why some get it. Who, what is it a certain, you know, age that gets it? Is it right, a certain right. male versus female, you know, where they live on the Dietary, island. Di- yeah, yeah. So right. And so anyways, of course a lot of humans suffer with arthritis and it's unfortunately mm-hmm. there's not a ton from the research perspective. There's not a lot really known about it. Uh, the mechanisms mm-hmm. basically. Aren't, are mm-hmm. not well understood. Um, and so researchers are hoping that if they can figure out more about why these moose are arthritic on Isle Royale mm-hmm. and that maybe they can draw some conclusions. And one of the things right. they're really honing right. in on, they uh, are looking at dietary imbalance.
0: Yeah, so let think dietary, yeah.
1: Imbalances yeah. early on in life. Okay. So, not what they've found so far, and these are preliminary results, but what they found is years where that's been when they were born and juveniles and raised up Mm -hmm. where it's been hardy eating because there's not, you know, there's been like not as many wolves or things like that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um, They're better. But when their nutrition is down due to either droughts or lack of whatever, Mm -hmm. they think that those are the ones that are more, have, are more. Prone okay. to have arthritis. So long story short, there's just, uh, there's definitely a lot that we can take from them besides their beauty and their majestic nature and their amazingly mm. hilarious nose. Uh, mm. but if we can learn some science about and understand their, you know, dynamics, cause you can't really do some, you know, uh, they're looking at, they're basically collecting bones as part of their research. And that's not really something you can do with humans, obviously. So. Anyways, um, I was just no, like, no, no. That's interesting it gave me a though, because whole like, perspective yeah, perspective on like arthritis yeah. and moose and like what they're awesome.
0: Yeah. I mean, it just reminds me. You know, we go back the stuff we learn from animals. We go back to tazzy tigers and the the transmutable cancers. These things that we can learn that will benefit humanity. Oh, you know, funny that species. you mentioned
1: the tazzy tiger. Devil.
0: I said devil. I said oh, devil. I didn't oh, say tiger. I, you said tiger. I said
1: tiger. <laughs> I heard tiger. Well, I I, I wanted to hear tiger because I want to talk about yeah. Tassie Tigers and how some people say they're still around, even though there's no yeah. real confirmed sightings. Cause interestingly right. enough, I don't know if you stumbled upon this in your research, but there was a pop there was a small population of moose reintroduced to
0: Or not reintroduced, introduced.
1: Sorry, excuse me, correct. Introduced introduced
0: to your alma mater. To New Zealand. Yeah, New Zealand. Mm -hmm. And you said like we, we, they, it disappeared, but now they're finding signs of it, possibly. it's yeah, kind of like, kinda what like the,
1: folklore. I forgot they yeah, found like, like, either some bones recently. Yeah. In 2002, Um, there was hair that was collected. Right, uh, like right. A, a DNA, uh, has moose DNA. Well,
0: I mean, it could be. I mean, New Zealand's big geographically, but you have a small population, four and a half million people. So, you know, they're spread out. I, I still think, I don't know... <laughs> I don't know where the thing would hide. It's so big. I know. Like, I know. It's so big. I don't see moose hiding out in New Zealand, but you never know. You never know.
1: But the Yeti but, is big, right? Uh, nice.
0: I know. Uh, but, uh, it's, yeah. Okay. So that's Let, a different podcast. Yeah. We're, it's we're, not ours.
1: we're scientists. <laughs> let's, let's, let's do science. That's what
0: we do. So they didn't evolve in New Zealand. They don't belong in the Southern Hemisphere. Mm-hmm.
1: Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death
0: experiences. What made the Vikings go berserk? And can I control my
1: co-host with MK Ultra? Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts.
0: But deer, let's talk about deer evolution, the Servidae family, one of Angie's favorites. Yes. Very successful group of mammals. I mean, like I said, all everywhere on all the continents, except Australia, because Australia has different animals that we love and hold deer in uh, the poles. Obviously, they're not in Antarctica or in the Arctic, but they're up near there. And deer have evolved for over 20 million years. Very, very successful. Now, Angie's going to work out on antlers really quickly. Angie, you always ask me, like, how do they determine this stuff? A lot of it's skull size, teeth, whatever bones we can find. Um, but what they do find in deer specifically is antlers help determine evolutionary trees. Interesting. Like you just said, they're bones, so they become fossilized. So we found fossils of antlers 20 million years ago. And this, the first one was Lagomericidae had little small antlers. Without beams or crowns, but with many forks. Okay, then the second group had no crowns, but they were forked and elongated. The third group pretty much sees what we, we see today uh, with deer. Now, the cervidae family, a very big group, ruminant mammals. And the two groups are the Servinae, which is the Muntjac, Elk,
2: mm-hmm.
0: Fallow Deer, and the Chuttle.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then you have caprilonae which is reindeer or caribou, roe deer, and the moose.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So caprolinae consists of 9 genera and 36 species, while cervinae comprises of 10 genera and 55 species. So you're looking around 91 species of deer around the planet. Wow. You know, in all the continents. Right? Yeah,
1: well you just you that kind of led me into a little bit um, talking about elk with I mentioned earlier
2: mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
1: is it's interesting because here in North America elk is a different species and you can tell mainly the difference. They're both big. Elk are very mm-hmm. big, big deers. Service uh, Canadian, Canadianus. Mm-hmm. You, I always let you do the Latin names, but anyways.
0: Canadus, yeah, mm-hmm. Canadius. Yeah. Maybe. And,
1: but they, they're different. They definitely, they're, you can definitely tell them apart when they have their racks on because mm-hmm. the antlers mm-hmm. are totally different. Um, and they're not going to, of course, have elk aren't going to have the, the nose that's right. kind of enlarged and almost looks a little puffy. And for those that are really into tracking, they they have different hoof shapes and they make different tracks. But in Europe, the word elk is used to refer to moose.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And moose – oh, sorry. And, <laughs> I'm confusing myself here. And yeah. elk are wapati, weppity. Yeah. 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 So yeah. – yeah just a little bit of depending on where our listeners are from they um they may have thought this whole podcast was about elk and so
0: yeah <laughs> well we I mean we do we have a good listenership in Sweden and Finland and Norway, so you know that's probably what they're they're thinking. Or or I
1: guess, no, they're thinking, I don't know what they're thinking. Anyways, I apologize. So, but yeah. Eurasian
0: elk. I mean, Eurasian elk is what they're known as over there. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, we refer to them as moose and, you know, interchangeable. Now, interesting moose evolved in Asia. So in that part of the planet. Ah,
1: Fascinating. Okay.
0: Yeah. About 2 million years ago. And then during the ice age is when they moved into Alaska and then into the rest of North America. Now, and it's interesting that the moose today is actually a little bit smaller than the ones that migrated over. But yeah. you know, we look at Bergman's rule and these large ice age, very cold. These animals got to be really big. That's why mammoths were so huge, you know, to, to be able to survive. Now looking at, at the family or the family, the species of moose, the species name is Alces Alces. And there's nine subspecies. One's extinct. So the one that's extinct is the Caucasian moose that was in the Caucasus in Asia. Then you have the Eurasian elk, which is Finland, Sweden, Norway, Latvia, Estonia, and Russia. The mid-Siberian moose, which is Siberia, Mongolia, Manchuria, so China. which is crazy. China has them, right? Mm-hmm. Also the emir, the emir moose. So that part where we have the emir tiger. The Chicago moose, which is in northeast Siberia. Then you move into the four species here. We have the Alaskan moose, which is very large, Eastern and Western moose, which is in Canada, and then the Shira moose, which is in the Northwest U.S. Okay. Just north of me. So those are your nine, well, eight living species, nine. Now, do you know the largest deer ever? Have you ever seen this in like your, your natural history museums?
1: No, I just, always one get, of these? I just always get stuck at the giant armadillo in the ground
0: sloth. <laughs> <laughs> no, that giant rat that's the size of a cow. Always my favorite. So this one is the Irish elk. And I, I believe I've seen this before at one of our museums here in the yeah, United States.
1: Yeah, it's ringing yeah. a bell now. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, it's huge. Uh, and they're, they get these specimens because they're in the peat bogs of Ireland. So they get these bones out. And these they stood about seven feet tall, 1,600 pounds. So just a little bit larger than today's moose. The huge antlers up to 90 pounds. I mean, impressive, impressive. So the Irish elk is the largest deer species ever. Awesome. Now, you did say, okay, they can live up to 25 years max. It's 15 to 20 is probably the, the average. Some cool facts. I mean, they can run 35 miles per hour. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of crazy. That's They're why, ex- yeah, you
1: don't want to yeah. mess with one.
0: You can't outrun them. No, 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 no. That's why that person was very smart to just go into his little garage or house and just close the door. Yeah. I watched the video. <laughs> he looks
1: so natural. He was like, and eh, no, okay, I will just go in here.
0: <laughs> <laughs> See if I can post a link to that. It's so funny. It's just, I mean, now I know why you love him so much. You know, the thing I wrote down is the anatomy is very similar to the horse. This Angie cracks me up. Okay. Moose have these beautiful large brown eyes and they can pivot them together or alone.
1: What? Yeah, they can yeah, independently. Horses can't do that. No,
0: no, mm-hmm. no, I was like, what? Oh, boy, they can give crazy. you a real
1: stink eye if you piss one off. Yeah,
0: I know. I know. <laughs> they're, they're wonderful swimmers. They can swim up to six miles per hour or 10 kilometers per yes. hour. They're, I'm trying to, okay, so the ears, they move their ears independently like horses. We'll get to the hearing in a second, because you're going to tell us how they hear so well. The nose is huge, that there's valves in there that help them shut off. The last fact I'll give before I turn you loose, because you're itchy, I can see it. You're itchy to go with your facts, I can see it, is they're so big, but almost like the camels, when we talked about the camels, they're... Toes splay out in soft ground so they don't sink, Mm -hmm. right? Because they're so big. And so some of these places they go, they don't. It's it's almost like snowshoes, but really not. I mean, but they they splay out so they don't sink in like mud and stuff like that.
1: Yeah. But I know
0: you're dying to talk about hearing, and you're dying to talk about these noses. Well,
1: I (laughs) just say the nose. I mean, it's awesome. In some readings, it's often called a um, proboscis. Mm-hmm, or mm-hmm. prehensile. I saw it uh turn turn called that. And um so yeah, their upper lip, that's like I just wanna, like I said, is it's the it's Grab that it. mom in me. I just uh, want to take it and uh, smooch it. But I know I I can uh, never do that, but that's what I want to do. Uh but their upper lip is really sensitive and it helps them distinguish what they're eating, if it's fresh, if it's hard twigs, and we'll we'll get to their nutrition. But because it's prehensile too, it kind of almost like giraffe lips or whatever except for it's not split down the middle it helps Mm -hmm. them grab food because they are browsers and so then of course on this upper lip slash in the nose area they have their nose is equipped with like these fatty pads and muscles that will close the nostrils when they are exposed to water pressure which will prevent water from entering the nose and so they're the only deer species that can like actually eat water plants underneath water. And right. and swallow too, because they can they don't have to raise up their head to swallow. So some really unique adaptations that put them eating aquatic plants, which we'll talk about that too. Uh and so it's just that nose, I just I had no idea it did so I mean I knew it was cute, but I, I had no idea that it just did so many Physiologic, so yeah, adaptations yeah, to be able to do yeah. that. And yeah. once again, just so, so different than a lot of the other deer species. Um, so yeah. And I mean, their antlers, of course, are just crazy impressive. And I won't spend too much time on it. Just that basically I think the key is, is that the antlers, of course, are shed every year where horns, mm-hmm. if an animal has a horn, it has horns for lifetime. So the antler growth will start in the spring. Um, And that makes sense because that's when nutrition is pretty good and they're eating really well because it takes a lot of energy to Mm -hmm. lay down bone. Uh, Well, first, you know, well, you have to lay down the velvet that covers it and then the bone underneath. And so it takes the antlers about three to five months to fully develop. Okay. So that sounds all well, but really think about that three to four to five months. To develop into these huge 40 pound on each side paddles that Mm -hmm. are, would you say a breadth of six feet in between them?
0: Yeah. Yeah. Six feet. I mean, huge. Huge.
1: I mean, think of how us, our bones grow, right? As humans, like very slow. It's just, I mean, it's, and it's,
0: they're eating, they're, they're herbivores. So, they're eating you know, plants. get all these, yes. yeah, to get all that all calcium. That, yeah. yeah.
1: It's just, in getting all that laying down all, all of those macro nutrients is just incredible. And then basically it starts in the spring growing in the velvet and come September-ish, um, early fall, starting obviously to get cold up north or it is already cold. They remove the velvet once again by tussling with some branches or willows, um, Mm -hmm. and scraping it off. And it, it's not, you know, it's not like peeling a banana. It's kind of a, Mm -mm. a bloody, uh, a bloody process. And, and what a recent study found is that moose, when they have their antlers full on, uh, come like September, cause basically the velvet stripped off to expose the bone, the white bone that you think of, it turns more yellow gray throughout Mm -hmm. the season but these this full rack of paddle or antlers acts as like a sound chamber and helps the moose hear better mm-hmm. and potentially can be really important for listening in for a female that's calling for a man which they right, which right. Will, they will do as one of their courtship behaviors and it makes sense because it's yeah it's this huge sound Almost like satellite dish. And, and, well, uh, you know what? When
0: you, when you said it, I, it made me think of old people in the olden days that, you know, now we have hearing aids. If somebody has trouble hearing, but they used to hold up like those big ear things that would catch sound that looked like a, I'm I don't monophile? remember that. I don't I even know what you yourself, call this. No, I, I didn't I'll, live, I'll in, the I did oh, I live oh. in the 1920s. I
1: did not live in the 1920s. I used anymore. to even
0: old movies or something. They used to hold out like, eh, eh what are you saying? They'd oh, pull out this so thing and stick it in their ear, and it was like a big monophone. Sure. I don't even know. They like say satellite dish to catch sound, yeah. so that's what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't live in the uh, 1800s, Angie. I, I, Come on. I,
1: <laughs> no, I didn't know where
0: you're going. Thanks a lot. That. No, it's way back, way back, way back. But yeah, oh, pigs. so
1: anyways, gamblers uh, antlers are amazing. Then of course yeah. they, um, once they're, uh, they're used for fighting and we'll talk a lot about that in behavior mm-hmm. and, and, um, mm-hmm. basically help, helping them score a female because females like the males with the bigger paddles. Um, right. and after they breed, then they fall off. I don't know if researchers know what actually trigger, uh, maybe it's a nutritional requirement or what triggers antler growth in the spring. I know their testosterone levels obviously peak in like September and October, November when they're rutting season. We'll talk Mm -hmm. a lot about when we get to behavior. Um, but how they, what what physiological cue they have to drop them because they literally do just drop off. It was always so fascinating when I worked at the zoo. You'd, You'd come in that whatever, uh, December or January. And,
2: yeah.
1: and,
0: Serotonin, melatonin, those are the things yeah, I'm thinking and he, of. And Day, and, night and, cycle, I don't know.
1: Yeah, and he would just have one antler. Cause they don't, pop, <laughs> they don't pop off at the same time. Yeah, I know, He'd, yeah, would yeah, yeah. have one, and so I don't know if it's the regrowth of the next one starting, uh, if it's, yeah. Maybe. I mean, and you maybe know. Maybe the
0: buds or something, yeah. Something but triggers it, it. it.
1: but it's like bone falling off. It's not even just like a, like tissue. It's I know. like bone. I know. I, I don't know. It's crazy. It's it's, and then they do it all again the next year. And and if a moose, if a bull moose is castrated, or if he, you know, if there's some kind of chemical imbalance or hormonal imbalance, he will drop his antlers. So, like,
0: why? Oh, they castrate him. Why he has mm -hmm. antlers? He'll drop them. How about this? There's definitely some testosterone in there. Will he grow antlers again?
1: Or that's yes. it? No. So he'll usually, okay. he'll quickly shed what he has going on and then he'll start growing another one, but they're all misshapen and deformed. Yeah. And then okay. he'll never shed them again. He'll live the rest of his life with that second set that he regrew that's like all misshapen and messed up. So, okay. So it's, it's definitely just reproductive
0: hormone yeah, driven.
1: Very much so. Um,
0: regulatory mechanisms. Yeah, it could be melatonin, serotonin, you know, working with testosterone feedback mechanisms that maybe.
1: It's actually, uh, it's really cool to actually jump into nutrition because there's some cool nutrition stuff with these guys.
0: Yeah. I mean, yeah. So they, you know, they're browsers. They, like you said, (laughs) they eat a lot. They casually devour like 73 pounds a day. I mean, I don't know, was that 40 kilograms in the summer? And then yeah. like to support that growth, only about 34 pounds in the winter, Yeah, that it's like 15, 20 kilograms. Uh, they eat a bunch of stuff like shrubs, woody plants, bark, aquatic well, vegetation. Browsers, right? So we always talk right. about the
1: difference between browsers and grazers. If they're grazers, herbivores. grazers, well, they're aren't... living
0: in boreal forests, things like that. So it's there's not, not just not a lot a, of grass. the prairies. Yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. And I think it's so cool that they can eat both. Terrestrial, so plants that we think about, willow, mm-hmm. twigs, bark, all that, but then also a lot of aquatic vegetation, right so right. water plants, water lilies, pondweed, things like that, and they do yeah, really they 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 do really spring. well with it uh yeah, 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 it's and I was reading so in the summertime, this is so it's, it's got me an average moose will need to consume about ten thousand kilocalories uh per oh. day. To maintain their body weight now of course they weigh a lot more than a human yeah (laughs) (laughs) so kilocalories so in at least in north america i I think it's different in europe but we we measure our food in regular calories so Mm -hmm. here in the states that would be the equivalent to basically eating 10 million calories per day how many pints of ice cream is that I could figure out well, so I do a lot of the calorie trackers, you know after, yes, after yeah. the holidays after you know between yeah. Thanksgiving Christmas and new year's it's it's time to go back to my calorie counter and yeah, I'm not plugging in ten million calories a day. I'm like, yeah. like thirteen hundred or fourteen hundred calories or something ridiculous like that um yeah, I couldn't even imagine it, it it all comes from plants too it's not like you're right, and so some of the plants are gonna have you know some fat in there but nothing like you
0: know no nothing no, like no, our no,
1: human no. diet so
0: yeah nothing like that pint of ice cream <laughs>
1: yeah just, from
0: haagen-dazs uh so i love
1: yeah and of course they're ruminants too so they uh they have that four chamber stomach and they uh digest a lot of the cell you know they're able to cope with bark and
0: hmm mm-hmm and get something out of it. That's mm-hmm. the thing. They get something out of it. You didn't think there's any nutrients in there and there are and they get at it.
1: And for me being such a zoo dork, uh I if you think about it, there's really not a lot of moose at your local zoos. And a lot of this has to do with their climate and dietary needs. Right. So they there's uh, I think Miss Minnes- uh the Minnesota Zoo and I think the Bronx has them. Uh There's a couple of zoos in North America that have them. I'm sure there's some in Canada, but they're not, it's not a very prevalent species of hoofstock. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that has to do with their wonky diet. And I say wonky, I mean that in a loving way because they're browsers and they're not, they, they can't just eat hay. In fact, if you only fed a moose hay, it would probably die because it right. it it can't digest it. It can't get the nutrients it needs Um, on just a hay diet like a horse could and so they require a lot of browse and that's a hard thing to do if you're a zookeeper is to provide your animals with a lot of like trees (laughs) and branches
2: right so i was
1: looking at there are some moose diets because once again there are some zoos that are doing really well they've figured out how to feed moose and some of the ingredients for fiber are like sawdust
0: Oh wow.
1: And things like that because they, I mean, bark, <laughs> they get something out yeah, of it. Yeah, bark is so, you know, a big part of their diet. And so it's just super fascinating. And of course they have a, you know, a lot of, they get hot really easily. So, uh, the zoos, the northern zoos will provide them with like pools and ponds and they, and they need a lot of room too. That's the other thing that's, you know, um, can often be, they're so big that can be hard right. for, uh, certain zoos to mimic. So, uh, but yeah, I know there's a few in North America, but not many that, that house them.
0: Yeah. I just saw Columbus Zoo has them mm-hmm. and Minnesota obviously has them. The, yeah, the Alaska Zoo. Oh, a, yeah. A zoo in Green Bay. So yeah, this is some of them that do, but you're right. I haven't seen them. My, my zoos, LA Zoo or San Diego Zoo. No. Uh, and and no.
1: yeah, I mean, and, and that's, it makes sense. They're a big animal. And yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: now it's fascinating stuff, Angie. And then just really quickly. So, Predators on moose. You already mentioned it. A bear or a wolf. I mean, these things, this is why moose, you know, that guy was smart to get in his garage because they're, they're formidable and they have really sharp hooves that their kick could kill you. So that's why you have to be very careful around them. So predators. So a pack of wolves or a black bear can't get a healthy adult moose. Maybe a grizzly, if they're lucky, uh, can pick them, can pick one off, but they typically go for the young, sick and old. But the biggest danger to moose, Angie, is probably one of the smallest organisms, and that is a parasite called the brain worm. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest threat to moose in the wild. So certain snails carry this parasite, a brain worm, and as they forage those aquatic plants, they'll ingest these snails and get this parasite that will... Cause neuro- neurological damage and and it's fatal. It's fatal to them. But what's interesting is other deer species get them and they don't affect them. Just the moose. So one of the things you know that and I read about ticks. Like with global warming, ticks are kind of going crazy. Sure. And you know, ticks carry a lot of disease that that can be fatal to moose too. So not a good thing. Not a good thing. But crazy fun behaviors. I know you're hoof stock. You're just well, itching to go. Yeah,
1: I will. It, they're fun. I mean, they, yeah. uh, yeah. their courtship behaviors are super, super cute and things like that. But in general, they're going to be active through the day and, uh, they'll, they'll peak at dusk and dawn. As you mentioned, they're great swimmers, uh, which is, you don't really think of that probably too mm. often. Uh, With hoof stock, no. yeah. I mean, they can swim, but you wouldn't say great swimmers, but, no, no. Once again, they can reach down and, uh, grab some of these aquatic plants, which is, is very unique for a deer spe- species. And they do require access to like salt and mineral licks because a lot of their mm-hmm. diet is lacking in salt. And so they've been known to travel far for places for it. And unfortunately they will often seek salt from roadsides where it's been to clear the snow. And so that can sometimes increase like moose vehicle collisions, which is kind of a, a big deal up north, mm-hmm. uh, where the, uh, in areas where they're found. And so a lot of, a lot of the different cities and governments are trying to figure out how to help, help reduce that on both ends because it's pretty catastrophic for the moose and often mm-hmm. not great for the people and the vehicles involved as well. But some of that behavior is driven by their need for, um, looking for, for salt. Uh, now, different than a lot of other deer species, and in regards to their social behavior, it's going to slightly vary depending on if they're more of the North American subspecies of moose or if they're more of the European or, or Asian moose. But typically here in North America, they're pretty solitary,
2: mm-hmm. which
1: is strikingly different than most species of deer. Uh, and so of course the mother and her calf form a really, really tight bond. Um, in fact, the calf will stay with the mom for almost two years, but yeah. And we'll talk a little bit about that too when we get to reproduction, but other than, and other than breeding, they will of course come together to breed. Uh, they, they're fine being by themselves and which is probably another reason why it's hard to display them. Uh, under human care, or like in a good accredited zoo, because they, you know, if they're females, they might do well, okay together, or a mom and a baby, but yeah, you probably having two bull mooses, you would have to, ha- you'd have to have a lot oh, of, God. a lot of yeah. room for that, right? I know, I know. And so, but now mothers, there, we got some tiger mamas. They are mm-hmm. definitely very protective of their calves. And so oh, that yeah. is, I mean, anybody who lives with, amongst wildlife knows that you want to stay away from Mama Bear and her cubs. You want to stay same thing for a moose. Uh, that's when um a, mo- a female moose was, was more prone to charging you if she has a calf on her side. But in general, they're not really aggressive to humans at all. But they can be provoked or frightened, and they do attack more people than probably bears and wolves. But I think, mm-hmm. of course, the mortality rates are are not as high. Uh, but they, but when they do run into a human it can be pretty ugly because they will they actually strike with their front hooves and they you know like horses can only kind of like kick in certain directions right. moose can kind of come at you with any angle so there's no quote-unquote safety zone so yeah you don't want to be uh, charged and and ha- and struck by a, a moose hoof that that's for sure no no um but overall they're pretty peaceful and they don't really want anything to do with humans obviously and of course, at the beginning of the podcast, we opened with their vocalizations so they can make those
2: mm-hmm, amazing mm-hmm. roars,
1: the males. And the females, of course, can make whining sounds as well. And so they definitely verbally communicate. They have a ton, as a hoofstock species, they have a ton of non-vocal communications with the way they walk, with the way they maybe arch their back as a, you know, as a threat. Um, and of course, other moose know how to read that language. But what was fascinating, Chris, and this is why it's so important that there's research done with animals like the moose, is that with these ebbs and flows of this predator prey cycle, uh, let's, for instance, like with wolves and moose, okay? There's lots of wolves, there's less moose. There's less wolves, there's more moose. That whole Mm -hmm. ebb and flow, which has been studied, like I said, for 50 years in Isle Royale, and, and we'll talk about that wonderful group at the end of the podcast mm-hmm. researchers think that the predation behavior of moose like understanding that wolves will will get them and how to stay away from them is actually learned and the reason they think this is that in years where moose grow up as whatever learning from their mom until you know for one to two years and there's not a lot of wolves around Those moose then don't do very well learning how to avoid wolves. Avoid them,
0: right. Right. Learn behavior, okay.
1: For instance, or if you were to reintroduce a moose that didn't have a lot of exposure to a wolf and wolf predation, that they would just get gobbled up a lot faster. They wouldn't know how to get away from them or not yeah or not they have a lot of their you know they're they're smart like ones that have been hunted by wolves know how to avoid them they like they don't like to be in no snow um because snow slows wolves down but they don't Mm -hmm. like to be in deep deep snow because wolves can actually get them you know it's hard for the moose with their long legs to get through the deep deep snow so there's all these kind of like learned behaviors and i just this is really fascinating because I'm always trying to tell people how smart horses are and hoofstock are. And, of course, I kind of get a, a weird look like, no, I mean, you know, <laughs> yeah. chimpanzees are smart, smart. Yeah. orcas are yeah, smart, yeah. dogs are smart, wolves are smart. But this just goes to show that they really depend on their parental unit, their mom, to learn. It's a learned behavior mm-hmm. on how to not get eaten by wolf. But the good news is, is that they are... Intelligent because they actually can learn to adapt pretty quickly. So studies have shown that they can bounce back and they start, you know, if they hear or smell a wolf or if they even see scavenger birds like ravens, okay, get, I'm out of here. So they mm-hmm. can learn to pick up on those cues, but it's might, you know, it takes them a little while to learn that if they are faced with it. So. They're smart. I mean, to be able yeah. to, you know, yeah.
0: animals are a to... lot smarter than we give them credit for. I mean, I still go back to octopus. <laughs> right. <laughs> they're from another planet. I'm telling you, they're so intelligent. Now you say, okay, twins. So they, they have twins. Mama has twins. So reproductively, it's just interesting. So in two years, like that's, that's a long time. It's a big yeah, parental investment.
1: Like, yeah, it might be 18 yeah. months. Um, okay. but yeah, basically their mating is going to take place in September, October. Hmm. Uh, they have a gestation period of eight months. So births are going to be in the summer, the following summer, which makes sense because that's when everything is growing and green. And depending on nutrition that the, the cow had when, uh, when she was bred can determine whether or not there's going to be twins. And I even read somewhere sometimes triplets, which you and oh I know goodness. working from, working with, you know, larger host stock species, that's tough. That's a lot of, that's, that's a lot of baby to have. Yeah, it is, it is. And uh, an average calf, a moose calf weighs about 30 pounds or 11 to 16 kilograms. So that's no joke, right? Mm-hmm. Um And then they nurse pretty readily and they're, they're gaining like a kilogram per day Um and they're super cute and they're like lighter brown. Oh my gosh. Melt my heart. I know. And, I know. Yeah. And then they'll stay with mama for minimally a year, but sometimes even longer. And then the moms, once they become sexually mature, uh, bulls at the age of two or so, um, that's when the moms will kick them out. Now, a male's not going to be reproductively active until he's about four or five, but that's and that's like when he'll be successful.
0: So Angie, one of the things, so you, you're talking about like they hit puberty and stuff and they get these paddles on their head. So explain rut to me. What happens during the rut? What's some of the behaviors? What are some of the things that these moose do?
1: Well, rutting is so fascinating. I got to see it firsthand, uh, I'm, uh, working with the white, white lip, the Asian white lip deer. And it's basically where the male testosterone goes through the roof. It goes from zero to 180. I mean, it just speeds right on up. And what ends up happening is because of this, they are more aggressive. The males are going to be more aggressive and that helps them fight off other males to score a female. Um, but it interestingly enough, they takes them off of food for about hmm. two weeks. They so
0: they're cranky. Oh, yeah,
1: cranky. right. Uh, I guess so. Um, so it's really, really a fascinating thing. And the first time, of course, I noticed this as a zookeeper with the, the white lipped deers that I worked with. I was like, Oh my God, they're not eating. Cause it's something as a zookeeper that you make notes of every day. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and then it goes on for a couple weeks and they may, they may nibble and they drink water, but they really have like no interest in food. And, for an animal that has a lot of interest in food normally, like you said, eating 30, mm-hmm. 40 pounds a day to go mm-hmm. down to barely anything is just crazy. And so, and I stumbled across this paper from 1990, uh, called why don't bull moose eat during rep? I love that name. Like, we,
2: yeah,
1: <laughs> you and I have <laughs> come up with plenty of scientific article names and this was just right. straightforward. Like, it's like, yep, 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 yep. And it was really interesting. The researchers used moose as the model to try to figure it out. And they had, and they basically have two active hypotheses. And one was males don't have sufficient time to feed because they're seeking out females. They're breeding. Um, in general, moose are polygonous. And so the male will breed s- several female if, if if he's able to fight for them and, and win them over. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and females do have some say in it. And we'll get to the females in a second. But so that's one hypothesis. He's, he's just too darn busy. Right. And... He's too in love. Um, <laughs> I, I guess I kind of swing the other way. When I'm in love, I feel like I go out to eat more and I, yeah, I definitely yeah, to, I like, lose weight. But anyways, yeah, yeah, so yeah. the other hypothesis was that, um, there must be something, some chemical, either nutri- hormonal or nutritional, uh, nutritional hormonal sig- signal that basically reduces their appetite. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, you know, gotta love science. Instead of just like guessing, they went out and took a whole bunch of data. And, um, and uh, I'm guessing and, door number
0: two. I'm guessing door number two. I'm yeah, they, door number they studied
1: two. these moose um, both under human care and then, of course, and um, in the national park in Alaska. And they found that they actually spend a lot of time during rut standing around doing nothing, not looking for females, not breeding, just standing around. So they had hmm. to throw hypothesis one out the door because they have right. plenty of yeah, time to eat if they wanted to.
0: I would think so. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah. Okay.
1: And so they're they basically, you know, surmise that it has to be some kind of chemical or hormonal thing going on that's basically reducing their appetite. But besides that, it's so bizarre because this is the time, you know, they're breeding a lot, which is taking a lot and looking for females. So it's taking. Mm-hmm. This is the time they should be eating, right? And so it's right. and, and so yeah, our males, you know, our males would lose easily, you know, ten, twenty kilograms sometimes in in a matter of a month. Uh, during Hmm. this time. And that was normal. Um, luckily they have their fat from the summer on, so they can, they have reserves and the reserves must go. Well,
0: Plus rumination takes, you know, heat, body, heat, full stomach like this. Maybe, uh, it's just something that evolved that during the males that didn't eat right during breeding season were the ones that were successful where the other guy's like, man, I'm hungry. (laughs) He goes out and eats. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) He's got to ruminate for a while. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's interesting.
1: The other thing that I found out about moose I didn't know—it's a little bit different than the deer species that I've worked with—is during their rut, during their courtship or mating, um, pre-mating period, and behaviors, is they they dig these things called rutting pits. So they i <clears> think <throat> I sent you a video. I don't know if you watched it because I was like, of course, up last yeah, night I'll watching all these, it yeah, all yeah, these yeah, yeah. videos. But yeah. But they dig these rutting pits where they deposit. Odiferous urine, so the stinky pee. They dig a hole mm-hmm. and they put stinky pee in there. And what ends up happening is um, other males will come across it and assess it, and either stick around or or not. Um, and then other females will then also come and roll in it. So us, the lovely ladies, the moose ladies, they will come uh, smell uh, it and roll uh. in it if they like it, and um, potentially pick that male. And so researchers are trying, of course, I love this. It says mass spec. Researchers collected a whole bunch of this urine and measured it for pheromones. And mm-hmm. of course, they're not able to find all of them. I don't know if they were doing shotgun mass spec or, or targeted, but at any rate, they were mass spec is what can measure some of these these um, molecules in bodily fluids. And so they found out that there were a lot of, oh, I, I'm not going to be able to say this, but... um Unsaturated alcohols and then tetrahydro-6-methylperone and two not – I don't even know. Anyways, some chemicals that they basically think are related to metabolism and catabolism, so breaking down fat, and then also to anorexia. And so they think that the urine – might be an evolutionary signal of overall fitness, but it's an, unfortunately, it's an honest sick. It's an honest. Oh, like, okay. It doesn't lie. Okay. It, 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 sh- okay. it basically shows what's happening to their, their body so the, fat and yeah, their okay. breakdown okay. and in, in what, like, how, like, are they old and sick? Are Mm -hmm. they fit? Do they still have a lot? After this two weeks of fasting, do they still have a lot of body fat? Right. So really.
0: She can discriminate. The
1: female.
0: (laughs) By by the pee smell. She goes and
1: sniffs the pee. And if she likes it and it has the pheromones that I guess is telling her that he's strong and fit. He's the one. He's the one. She'll roll in it and she'll um, produce some. Really long moaning vocalizations that can be heard up to three kilometers away. His (laughs) antlers act as a soundboard so he can pick up on that Mm
2: -hmm. and
1: then he will go find her. And if another male's around, um, sometimes the female will sometimes attract a couple males and then she can pick whoever is toughest, whoever had the best smelling urine. (laughs) Okay. Science. I love it. Oh my goodness. Uh, and yep, sorry yep, I had to yep, put yep. you through the mass spec, you know, uh, you know me, right, it's, a, a, uh, yeah. it's, uh, it's, it's, uh chemistry. I, I can't, I can't control myself, but this, uh, with this rutting behavior of this, yeah, rolling in their own, uh, odiferous urine is kind of new to me. Um, I, I didn't see mm-hmm. uh, some of the deer species I worked with and the females. I mean, they, they go to town Isn't wallowing. It like dogs,
0: and, dogs roll in like the worst smell ever. Like they just, but that's, dogs- the that's our human brain. <laughs>
1: yeah. Our human brain is saying it's a worse yeah. smell to a moose. it them, might be awesome. like moose cologne or moose perfume. It <laughs> might be like
0: delicious. <laughs> You'd follow that. You'll make a million bucks. Come the
2: stinkier, the better. Yeah.
0: Oh, gosh. <laughs> we'll export that. Oh, that's great. That's great. Okay, so yeah, conservation overall least concern, like we said. There's about one and a half million total moose. Doesn't mean they're not. We don't have to keep an eye to them because, like, well, we opened the podcast. Do the
1: math. You're talking about eight subspecies for in North America, four Across, in your, you know Europe. And yeah, Asia.
0: Europe and Asia. I mean, that's not a lot. That's not. That's a not. Lot. No, no, and they're being hurt by, like I said, global climate change, warming temperatures ticks are blooming in the heat and heat affects them horribly. So, you know, a few weeks ago we talked about the bowhead whale, or, you know, even going into the snow owl, snowy owl, we talk about these rising temperatures in the Arctic and those habitats. And so they, they, we've got to keep an eye on them. They are in trouble in the United States with these temperatures. Well, and and, yeah,
1: no, they're um in Minnesota. They're dying at a concerning rate. And so recently, this is awesome. Some positive news: one point two million dollars were given for a moose mortality study to try to figure out what's happening in Minnesota with the moose. Mm-hmm. And they're, mm-hmm. you know, That's good. Putting collars on them and collecting data. And when the All moose right. do die, they're trying to bring the carcasses in to figure it out. And like I said, I don't. Think- I just,
0: I still can't get over that they don't sweat. Like I don't. That's just crazy, <laughs> yeah, right? It's it's crazy. They just evolved to not sweat. And it's just nuts, you know, cause I always see a lot of hoofstock stock that, that sweat oh, a lot, yeah, for sure. Especially through the rumination. So yeah, so they are in trouble in the United States. We got to keep a, keep our eyes to them. But you said there are organizations out there helping them.
1: Oh yes. I mean, for instance, the state department in Minnesota, like I mentioned, you know, a lot of money, $1.2 million to different researchers there. I'm sure through the universities and also through, uh, the state department trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, but as far as like large moose conservation groups, there was nothing that per se jumped out of me except for going back to, uh, Isle Royale, my alma mater in Michigan. Uh, it's an Island, interestingly enough, um, in Lake superior that has a really interesting moose and wolf population, on this island, I think they got the moose, I don't know if they swam or they got there uh, when it was all connected um, thousands of years ago or what. But at any rate, the wolf and moose population dynamic study um, through Michigan Tech, which is a, a great college up in the UP of Michigan, have studied this dynamic on Isle Royale trying to figure out trends about predator-prey interactions with them both being kind of like these keystone species of when the wolf population goes down, what happens to the moose population? And when the moose population goes down, what happens to the wolf population in this back and forth? And this group has been studying it for over 50 years. They started in 1958. And so you can check out their webpage at uh, Isle, Isle Royale. Woof.org. So that's I-S-L-E dot org, And they're also on Facebook. So they have a lot of amazing pictures on Facebook as well. Um, so definitely give them a follow. But yeah, they basically bring a whole bunch of researchers in there. Um, they study a lot of uh, carcasses. And are lo- looking, they have tons of different projects going on. I mean, predator prey is the main thing that they've been known for for 50 mm-hmm. years, 50 years. Like mm-hmm. every ecology book out there mentions this predator prey study. It's so historical. I always love when I get mm-hmm. to talk about it in class. Mm-hmm. Um, But yeah, there's, it's amazing for anybody who likes like wilderness, likes wolves or moose, like whether you're hooves and horns or, you know, wolf pack interest in that kind of stuff. There's lots of different studies going on there and they do college internships. Fascinating. Mm-hmm. I wish I would have known about this when I was in college. Um, I know. And then now that I'm an adult, they have, I guess I was always an adult, but now that I'm more of an adult, they also have something called join a moose watch expedition on their website. And what is a moose watch expedition? You asked Chris, I, I could tell mm-hmm. with your eyes that you were asking that. Um, yeah. It's an incredible opportunity for you to help collect research data about moose and of course wolves, but pr- this one focuses primarily on collecting moose bones and it's so cool. You, it's, it's not for the faint hearted. Um, mm-hmm. you are in the woods for like seven days and you're backpacking and you got to be in shape, but you are like in it and you see a ton of wildlife.
0: Oh so, wow. That'd be cool. And of course cool. your
1: work. You know, you're actually collecting data. So I, I did send this link to John, uh, the other day and put 10 year anniversary trip question mark.
0: I thought that was a Galapagos, but okay. I maybe know, that was...
1: me too, but I'm almost thinking <laughs> that I don't know. This might be more, I don't. So much more intimate. <laughs> you each you
0: go hiking, yeah. And yeah. intimate,
1: I mean that from a marital way, but then also from like a wilderness yeah. way. I don't know. Right, right,
0: right. that's a tough one. I
1: don't. Yeah, I, don't I, I don't know. I guess. Yeah, yeah you're. I, I love that you're keeping track of all of my 10 anniversary
0: I am. I, I am. I'm making sure you're going somewhere. <laughs> you're going somewhere fun.
1: I know. Yeah, I would love to you. go to Africa with the kids too. So I don't know, yeah. but but definitely check out the isleroyalwoof.org dot webpage and check out the moose or you can just google anything about it um or like them on facebook and i just we the research that they do is really really important to learn more of course about moose and their pop- keeping their populations healthy and mm-hmm. um so yeah it's and it's just, it's a lovely yeah, check out. lovely check website out. with lots of different opportunities
0: go hiking go hiking i know so oh
1: well oh and just really quick <laughs> yeah. interestingly enough Isle Royale is it's a national park this mm-hmm. island and it is the least visited national park. So, oh, okay. if you're like sick of going to Yellowstone and being like around a whole bunch of crowds, How
0: could you be sick of going to Yellowstone?
2: I've never been. I've, never, I've never
1: been either. That was like the worst, whatever. <laughs> um I know I, get I can't it believe I've never been it. there. It's so ridiculous. I know. But anyways, uh, we'll if there. you we'll don't like crowds, Isle Royale is where you want to be cuz uh yeah. definitely it's, it's a hidden gem.
0: Right, 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 right. Well, and just, just to end this, I know it's been a long one, but of course it's a really cool species for Julia Thanks, up there Julia. in Minnesota. I love yeah, it. She yeah.
1: Amazing species. It's awesome.
0: I know. I know. So, you know, some of the things you can do, it, it, it's carbon emissions. You know, we're talking about climate change. Cars are the, one of the biggest contributors. You know, 82% of all emissions from transportation comes from cars. So there's things we can do to reduce that individ, as individuals. So one of the things people use is Uber, you know, or Lyft or some of these ride, you know, companies no longer use taxis. In those options, you can always do ride share. Absolutely. So look to do that.
1: It's cheaper. That's one way you can do it. Yeah, Yeah, we always do that. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. And, you know, you can ride with somebody. You don't really have to say anything. And you reduce emissions. Here's something. Avoid rapid acceleration and braking. So, you know, don't zoom around.
1: Yes, I that, actually, to yeah. get my car insurance down, we, mm. we, progressive, whatever, it's not an ad, I don't necessarily, mm. yeah. I'm neutral about them. Yeah. But they, they put a, um, negative reinforcement thing on your car where when I did speed oh, wow. up too fast or brake too fast or fast. whatever, yeah. uh, it like made a beep sound and it was logging it and they are basically, oh. so your rates, it was, it's a gamble. Your rates could either oh. go up or down. And so, oh, wow. okay. yeah, ours actually, oh, okay. ours, uh, after it trained us, ours went down uh, a little bit, yeah. a teeny tiny, like, I don't know, like a dollar or something. Yeah, But boy, John and I were so glad to get that thing out of our Prius. <laughs> <laughs> get it out of here.
0: Well, you're helping the environment, but Now
1: But right, so, okay. now I'm like, maybe yeah. I should get another one.
0: Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, you know, and, and walk and bike whenever you can. I understand that's hard in some places. And then when buying a new car, here's the thing choose a climate-friendly option. It doesn't have to be a Prius or it doesn't have to be, you know, a Tesla. you see tons of them here in California. But you can get something that, you know, gets better gas mileage. So, again, it's just impactful. We all do our part. We will reverse these trends. And, you know, we're going to help the moose and all these other species. I know we're going to do it. This is the decade. This is the decade to do it. Absolutely. absolutely 100% mm-hmm.
1: well thank you everyone for letting us uh, talk about moose and hopefully if you weren't in madly in love with them before now you are and uh, yes
2: yeah and we'll see you next week
1: thank you